Amen. I'm glad I came to church today, man. Golly. I'm so thankful. You know, when I was a youth minister, uh, we used to go to Six Flags. Anybody ever go as a sponsor or to a Six Flags trip, youth trip? Yeah, that's like, that might be an explanation of what hell will be like. I, I don't know. No, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, we'd go on these trips, and they were so long. And Six Flags is hilarious because you see people that actually got up that morning and said, this looks good on me. I think I'll wear this to Six Flags today. Um, but it's an incredible place to people watch. But uh, uh, I was in line one time at the, at the shockwave. It was like 150 degrees, it felt like. It was so hot. And uh, so we're in this long line that took forever, and we're uh, going through it. And there's this kid next, like right in front of me. And he wore this Christian T-shirt. And um, so I, I got talking to him, and I said, um, you don't, you don't believe that junk, do you? Is that, is that like a Christian t-shirt? And he, he looked down, and he's like, what did I wear today? And, and he looked down, and he said, uh, yeah, it's a Christian t-shirt. I go, do you really believe that? I was like, come on, man, seriously? And he was like, uh, yeah, I, I do. And I go, okay, okay, what is that, like John 10 colon 10? What is that? Is that like a Bible verse or something? He's like, looking down, yeah, and, uh, and I go, what does it say? And he, John 10, 10 says, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he got pretty close. And so, so if you ever wear a Christian t-shirt, it's got a verse on it, you better know what it says, otherwise some punk will ask you. Um, I was the punk. And, um, and so I, the whole line, I'm just grilling him about what he believes, and, and do you really believe this? We get close to the front. I mean, we've been in line for like 50 minutes. We get close to the front, and I go, hey, man, I was just kidding. I'm a youth pastor, and, and I just wanted to see how you did. And he was like, I'm so glad. I was hoping you weren't like really lost. And I was like, no, come on, man. You need to, you need to like be ready. But, but, you know, when's the last time? that you had to give a defense of your faith. Like, like literally somebody asked you, why do you believe this? Do you really believe that? You, you know, we, we've been in this series as we, we, we've been learning to share our faith, and that's been the challenge for, for us as a church to become stronger witnesses for Christ. And, and, and let me just kind of track where we've been. A couple weeks ago, we looked at, at the, when Jesus healed the, the man born blind. And we talked about how your testimony matters. Your story makes a difference. And, and as you share your story, as you share about when God lifted your head or, or when God answered a prayer or when God strengthened you, those are moments that God will use to help you communicate the, the hope that you have, the gospel, with people around you. Last week, we looked at Zacchaeus when, when Jesus had this relationship, this encounter with Zacchaeus, and we, we noticed that, that God puts us in relationships with people for a reason. Now, we've got to understand that the, the relationships we have, people in our lives, they're not projects for us to uh, encounter. But, but the truth is, there are relationships that God has put us in, and he calls us to be witnesses. Um, Today, we're, we're going to look at Acts 17, this incredible moment that, that Paul encounters these philosophers and, and the Epicureans, and, and it's an incredible moment. 
And, 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 and can, can, I, can I say something to us? In the culture that we live in, if, if you are not consistently giving a defense for the reason that you have, and now let me not say this you, but let me jump in here with you. If we are not consistently giving a defense for the hope that we have, maybe we're not living as consistently as we need to live. Because one of the things in the culture that we are in, we should regularly be communicating to people, giving a reason for the hope that we have. Now, stand with me and let's look at Acts chapter 17. And we're going to read together. Now, I want you to stay in this passage with me because we're going to try to unpack it, and I'm going to do my, my best to get through this in the next hour and a half. Um, I'm just kidding, but, but it may, may be not be. I may not be. But uh, Acts 17, 16, let's look at this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they t- then they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate you standing in honor of God's Word. Now, now as I look at this Scripture, and I want us to unpack it, so I want you to stay there for, stay here the whole day, because um, um, as I look at Athens, and I think about what was going on in the city of Athens that Paul was there. Paul was, Paul was waiting for Silas and, and for Timothy, and he was waiting for them to come, and and, uh, and, and as he's waiting, he, he can't help but look around him and see these this situation in Athens. Now, Athens is an interesting place because they were a very spiritual culture. And it reminds, us, reminds me of the world we're living in. Uh, Athens was very spiritual. They, they, spiritual was cool. And, and as I look around us, spirituality is cool. I mean, people are like, oh, yeah, you're spiritual. Man, we're all spiritual. And there's spiritual leaders everywhere. And um, now, now the, the struggle that the Athenians were in, they were stuck in pluralism. Now, pluralism is this idea that I want you to understand. It's, it's this idea that there are many ways to God. And, and, and they had this pluralistic view of God, meaning that there were just all kinds of deities that you would pray to. For example, um, this is just a few of them. If you were going to war, in, the Greeks would pray to Zeus. 
Zeus was the god of war. He would bless them. He would protect them. So they would make sacrifices and pray to Zeus. If you were starting a business in this time, in this culture, uh, you would pray to Artemis. Artemis was uh, the mini-breasted one, as she was called. She was known as the fertility, and she would, uh, she would bless the work of your hands, uh, according to their view. And, and they, would, they would buy these little goddesses, and they would bow down and worship Artemis. Please bless my business, bless my family, bless this work. Um, if you had some girl that caught your eye and you'd be like, man, I want that girl to notice me, man, you'd, you'd make a sacrifice to Aphrodite and, and, and maybe Aphrodite would help you. It was this pluralistic culture, pluralistic view of God. You know what's interesting? In my lifetime, when I was younger, the church I grew up in, we would go visit and we'd go meet people and we'd go share the gospel. And, and you would meet people, and even early in my ministry, you'd go talk to people that didn't follow God. And, and you would say, you know what, I want to tell you what the Bible says. I want to tell you about Jesus. And there was this idea that, you know what, I really probably need to follow Jesus and I, I really need to pay attention to what the Bible says. I, that was the prevailing thought. We lived in a Judeo-Christian culture. But in my lifetime, I've watched that change. Like now, you have a, a whole culture that when you say, oh, I, I want to tell you what the Bible says, they would, there's, there's a prevailing thought. You know, the Bible needs to be updated. You know, we need to update the Bible. The Bible's not, man, you can't live by that. Golly, that's old. That's the culture we live in now. And that's a prevailing thought all around us. You know, when it comes to um, uh, this, this idea that, that Paul is engaging these Athenians, they didn't believe the Bible. They, were, they, they didn't acknowledge one way to heaven, and, and, and they, they, that was a foreign idea to them. They, they even called Paul a babbler. It's interesting because uh, another thing about this, you, you see this in verse 17 or 18, Verse 18, he says, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers conversed with him. Now, another prevailing thought in Athens that is also true of our culture is, is the idea of sin wasn't uh, an absolute idea. I mean, sin, Epicureans were these, they, 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 these group of people that lived by this philosophy that whatever feels good, do it. That if, if it feels good to you, if it's pleasurable, you should do that. And so the idea of something that is pleasurable being sin, they'd go, you know, that's, that makes no sense to me. And what's interesting, in my lifetime, I have watched a culture change to embrace sin. Sin no longer stinks anymore. Now, I want that to sink in a little bit. We live in a culture that is accepting of sin, and it has no smell to it anymore. That's why I'm not surprised at the political dialogue of, oh, how can someone say that, and how can this be this way? But, but we, for a long time, have been a people that have slowly lost the stench of sin. Epicureans were right in the middle of that. So this is very relevant to where we live. It's interesting. And, and I, I just pray that... I want you to look at verse 16. Look at this. So, so while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, look at this. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, I want you to notice that. Paul, Paul's, Paul was provoked when he saw the idols. 
you know, uh, he was broken. He was moved. I mean, think about being provoked. When, can I ask you a question? Well, let, let's all deal with this today. I'm dealing with this today. When was the last time I was provoked so much that I was like, I, I can't be quiet. I, I can't stop. I'm, talk, I'm not talking about some political, oh, I'm going to tell people what I think politically. I'm talking about provoked over the idols and the brokenness, the lostness. That's what provoked Paul is the lostness around him. And, and can I tell you, I am praying to be a pastor that is continually provoked by the Lord. That I'm continually provoked at the lostness around me. And I, and I pray that we as a church, we never cease to be provoked by the lostness around us. See, Paul goes into the city and he's waiting and, and, and he looks around at all these idols and, and he's provoked. And he's, and, and I'm, I'm convicted by that. Because there are too many churches that are, that are not provoked anymore. And I'll tell you, we must never, we must pray that God always provokes us. May we forever be provoked to, to, to make a difference in the lostness around us. Let's not miss that. Verse 17, look at this. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, oh, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now, now look at this. Paul sees all these smart people. I mean, the, the, I mean and there are a lot of smart people, and, and, and sometimes we're intimidated by, oh, those guys are really smart. Well, that just means they've come up with clever, more clever ways to just get, stay stuck in their sin. But the reality is, we, I look at Paul, and he said, sees these people, and he goes, and I'm going to reason with them. I love that. He's, he's not afraid. He's bold, and, and he just says, he, he, he was tough. And he, he just said, I'm not going to back down, and I'm going to step up and reason and give a reason for my faith. Now, now I'm going to say this out loud today. Um, we need to get a little tougher. I, I think that as Christians, followers of Christ, we've, we've gotten a little soft. Paul didn't look at Athens and go, oh, you know what, I don't want to offend anybody. Oh, what if, what if I hurt someone's feelings? Oh, no, what, what, if, what if someone gets mad at me? We don't see Paul saying that right here. Paul is provoked, and so he reasons with them. Now, point number one today. We've got to be a people that get some grit. I, love, I like that word, grit. Like the John Wayne, True Grit. You ever see that movie? And John Wayne was gritty. You know, the, the, we got to get a little tougher. If you grew up in church, you probably sang this song. Um, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry. Remember that? Shoot the artillery. I may never uh, soar or the enemy because I'm in the Lord's army. See, I always go too high, don't I, Brent? Brent always says I sing too high. More of a soprano. Um, but... 
But we, we don't sing that anymore. We've got a little soft. And can I, can I just challenge us today? We need to get a little tougher. Um, we need to get a little more grit as believers in a culture that's moving further and further away from the Lord. Now, now don't hear me as that we need to be cruel because there's never, I mean, Paul wasn't cruel here. But can I tell you, Paul was brave. Paul wasn't afraid. And as a believer, as a follower of Christ, we cannot be afraid. There's a member of our church, and I, he's like such an incredibly brave believer. He works for a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs in Bartlesville. He goes to some of the most dangerous places in the world. He just got back from one of the most dangerous places in the world. I can't even tell you where he went because I'm not supposed to. And you know what he always says to me? And I'll never forget this, and it's shaped me. He said, in America, we are a group of believers that fear the eyebrow. He goes, I go hang out with believers that fear the fist, fear their life. And let me tell you something, folks. We've got to get a little more grit as believers. We've got to be people, a people of God that's not afraid. Like, like Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? 1 Peter 3, 15 through 17. We always quote 15, but it says, But in your hearts honor Christ as the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are, look at that, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. See, the Bible prepares us that we're going to a world that doesn't agree with us, that, that will come against us, that will not um, embrace the exclusif exclusivity, is that right? Exclusive, exclusiveness, how about that? Exclusiveness of the gospel. Because we live in a pluralist, we've watched pluralism overtake us. That now, for the first time in history, if you make the claim that Jesus is the only way to heaven, you could be characterized as a person engaged in a hate speech. But folks, the Bible clearly communicates that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And we've got to be a group of people that are brave. Now, Paul not only bravely engaged the lost here, he understood he was who he was talking to. He understood what was going on. Look at verse 19. So he, he shares the gospel. He talks to these Epicureans. Verse 19 says, And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, Now, the Areopagus, that was this... Uh, hall that people would go and debate for hours and hours. Now, what we have here is we're, we're getting ready to, you could read the rest of this chapter in like two minutes, but what we have here is really Paul's outline, and we have the bullet points of how he communicated the gospel here in the Areopagus. Um, and so he's standing in there, and they would talk for hours, and he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way 
Oh, excuse me, I'm verse 19, I got ahead of myself. Uh, may, may we know, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time doing nothing except telling or hearing something new. So he goes to this Areopagus, and, and he starts to articulate his faith. He starts to give a defense and a reason for the hope that he has. Now, um, I want us to learn something here. We've got to be a church and a group of people, a group of believers that know who we're talking to. So point number two, if you're following in your notes, we've got to understand our audience. So we've got to understand that the world that we live in, that, that we, no we, we no longer live in a world that accepts the Bible. Now we as believers must embrace the, the scriptures, must learn the scriptures. This is why every week we work hard at opening up the Bible and allow God's word to to lead us. And, and, and my prayer for us is that we are a church that understands the, the world that we live in. Like Proverbs 15.23 says this, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in the season how good it is that we are a group of people that, that are able to give a word to our culture that is in season, an apt and appropriate word. It's like Proverbs 15.28 says this, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And I, one of my prayers today is that you prepare yourself, you ponder, how would I give a reason, give a defense of the faith that I have? And have you thought through that? Yeah, can, I'm going to give a quick commercial. Um, on, in January, uh, we do a, a four-week Bible study at the first of January on Wednesday nights. And over that, that four-week period, we are going to unpack how to give a defense for your faith. And I want to challenge you to be a part of that on a, on a Wednesday night. Uh, six o'clock, we'll, we'll, it'll be in the worship guide. Um, I want to encourage you to come. Rob Lewis and I are going to unpack that over the next, over four weeks. But, and then on January 29th, yeah, I'm so excited about this. We have a guy named Frank Turek that's going to be preaching here. Um, Frank Turek just wrote a book, well, it's not a new book, it's a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. He's a premier apologist. Apologetics is this idea of defending your faith. It's not like, oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's defending your faith. He's going to be right here on January 29th. I'm so pumped. But, but we need to be thinking through, how will we give an answer how will we respond to, to the faith? Understand our audience. Now, third thing you see, and I'm going to hit this point, and then we've got to unpack the rest of this passage. But Paul, we see him doing this, um, and we've got to learn to be clear, to be concise and compelling with the gospel. And this is something I pray we understand. I pray that you learn how to be clear with the gospel. I pray that you're able to concisely share it and communicate the, the truths of God's word. And I pray that, we, that our lives and the way we share it is compelling. Because here's the, the deal. Paul's life was compelling. And what I want us to understand, when we walk with Jesus, when we put his word into practice, the people that we rub shoulders with, our lives are compelling. And this is why it's the most natural thing for us to communicate the gospel with people around us. 
And we, we've been silent for too long. And there are too many believers, too many followers of Christ that have never taken the time to share the gospel with those that they know. And we've got to become stronger witnesses. Now let's look at what Paul did. Paul had this very clear strategy, and I think we can learn from it. Because this strategy, I believe, is the strategy we need to employ in the culture we live in. First of all, Paul started with creation. This was his strategy, and this, he started with the beginning. Sometimes we, when we share our faith, we just talk about the, what the Bible says in Jesus. Now, we've got to get there. We've got to get to what the Bible says in, in Jesus. But can I tell us, tell, tell, we've got to be a church that learns how to start at creation. Well, that's what Paul did. Look at verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, this is what he says. We're just going to read this. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He compliments them. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you guys are stupid. No, he says, hey, look, you're religious. For as I passed along and observed your objects of worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Because they would just cover their bases. They wanted to make sure they had everything covered. And, and, and he, so they had this, this God that they worshiped. Oh, you're the one that we missed. And Paul says, look, I, uh, for what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And I love what he says about God. The God who made the world and everything in it is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything? This unknown God that they're worshiping, he's like, he didn't need anything. He's, he created everything we see. Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So he's basically saying, look, God's in control of life and government and people, and he orchestrated all of it. Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And I love that because he's like God put in the heart of every human to seek him and to find him. And this is why we have a great opportunity in a spiritual culture. He goes on, yet... Look at this. He is actually not far from each one of us. And see, this is what's amazing to me is that, is that we serve a God who's, and the people that are in our lives that don't know Christ, God is not far from them. God was not far from me. I love that in verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of you, your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So it's interesting as Paul, he goes to creation. And this is a great strategy for us today, and this is what we're going to unpack in January. How to start at creation and communicate the gospel. And I pray we catch that. And in, 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 in a pluralistic culture, in a culture that is no longer accepting the Bible, we've got to go back to creation. Go back to how it all began. That's a philosophical pursuit. Next thing, you see what Paul does, verse 29. He not only started at creation, but he talked about sin and repentance. And this is important. This is the truth of the gospel. That's what I love about Maggie's story. Maggie and Casey, they, I, I, I love their story, and, 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 and we're all moved by it today. Maggie and Casey have grit. They have a reason for their faith. 
They're tough. And I love that about them. You know what um, Maggie articulated? Her struggle with sin and repentance. And see, we've, if you're sharing the gospel with somebody, and this is what breaks my heart about preachers all over the place, that, that we have a lot of preachers that stand up and talk about the love of God. And absolutely, he loves us. No one loves like God loves. But, but let me tell you something very clear. God dealt with our sin. And sin is destructive, and sin destroys every time, and sin never delivers what it promises. And, and we've got to be rescued from our sin. And this is what Paul said. Look at verse 29. He says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like silver or gold or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Because all around him were these godlike creations that man made. And Paul says, look, look that's, not, that's not what God is. That's something man made. He says, verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. You see, We've got to understand that judgment is coming. That sin needs to be dealt with in our lives. And so this is why when you share the gospel, start with creation, but you cannot leave out sin and repentance. And, and we need to be leery of preachers that just preach the love of God and ignore sin and repentance. And this is why I pray that none of us can come to church on a week-by-week -week basis and sin easily. Because too many churches you can go to and just sin easily. But you cannot hear the voice of God and embrace God's plan for your life and live a lifestyle that rebels against him day by day by day. And this is why Paul, I, I, I love it, because he points to the fact that, guys, men of Athens, judgment has come. And, and look what he says. He, he points, third thing he does, he, he starts with creation. He deals with sin and repentance, and then he points to the resurrection. And this is so great. Look at this. He says, um, because he has fixed a day on which, verse 31, he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some of them joined him and believed among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. You see, this is not one speech. This was, a, this was an outline of Paul's argument. And it's interesting how he points to the resurrection, and, and it makes so much sense. Because resurrection is tied to history. Now, there's a philosopher that I, I like. His name's Mortimer Adler. And uh, I, I make, I'm making my children read this book, before, his book, before they go to college. And they make fun of me because it's called How to Read a Book. 
It's a great book. You ought to read that book by Mortimer Adler called How to Read a Book. And um, Mortimer Adler, Adler is a phenomenal philosopher, and he's, he, he helped articulate this idea about how do you determine truth. And, and he said, Mortimer Adler, Adler says, you determine truth by two things, a matter of taste and a matter of fact. For example, um, Keith Davis loves Coke. Okay, he loves Coke. Now, he's, you need to ask him, if you, see, if you know Keith Davis, you need, he's told me he's giving up Coke. And then I find a bottle of Coke on his desk this week, and I was like, hey, what is this? You know, you know you can get battery acid off your car with Coke, right? Okay, but he likes Coke. I don't drink much soda, but when I do, I'm a Dr. Pepper person. Okay, how many of you like Coke? Okay, like Keith. How many of you like Dr. Pepper? My people. You're my people. Okay? Love this church, you know? Um, okay, well, who's right? If I say to Keith, Dr. Pepper's better than Coke, and Keith says, no, Coke's better than Dr. Pepper. Well, it's a matter of taste. Uh, it's just a matter of taste. No one can be more right than the other. Now, the problem is, is belief in God, belief in Christ as the Savior of the world. Is that a matter of taste? Well, a lot of people say so. Oh, that's good for you, but not good for me. Uh, that, that's, Christ works for you, but that doesn't work for me. The problem with that is our faith in Christ is not based on matters of taste. It's based in matters of fact. For example, matter of fact, two times two is what? Four. Now, if I said, no, wait, 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 I'm change, I feel like two times two is really eight. Well, and, I'm pa and I passionately make that case. This is what I feel. This is my preference. This is what I believe. Well, I believe wrong because two times two will never be eight. It's always four because math is a matter of logic. It's a matter of fact. Okay, if I said to you, um, Abraham Lincoln was the first president of the United States, and I passionately believed. I like his goatee. I, I think he's got great hair, and his nose is awesome. He's the great first president of the United States. You would say to me, that's, that's not right, because Abraham Lincoln was not the first president of the United States. George Washington was, because history is not a matter of taste. History is a matter of fact. Let's go to the resurrection of Christ. Why is it so smart for Paul to go to the resurrection? Because a resurrection took place. God came from heaven, entered human history. Jesus lived this life that people said, you have to come from God. He died on a cross, and then he rose from the dead. And see, resurrection, the resurrection of Christ is pivotal. It's so pivotal. Look what Paul said. I've got it up on the screen here, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the, of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised 
Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Paul said, look, if the resurrection didn't happen, then all of this is worthless. None of this matters. But do you know what? If the resurrection did in fact occur in a moment in time, then all of this matters. Jesus matters. Forgiveness matters. And you and I must become stronger witnesses for Christ. You know, um, we, we started the ambassador baseball team. We share the gospel after every game. A couple years ago, we're at ORU playing a tournament. There's a kid from, from Jinx that played for us. A really great baseball player named Grant Guest. And uh, Grant was... Uh, he was chosen that day from our team to share the gospel with his, with his peers. These were guys, it was a team, we were playing a team from Tulsa, and these were kids that he played against, played with some of them. And I'm sitting next to his dad in the stands. And, and he, he, he says to me, Chris, I can't believe I'm watching my son share the gospel on a baseball field with his friends with his peers, with the guys that he battled and duked it out with. I can't believe that he's doing that. And I go, yeah, it's cool, isn't it? It was unbelievable. And then he stops and he looks at me and he goes, huh, maybe we're all supposed to do that. And I was like, yeah, I think, I think we are. Yeah. Folks, we are called to communicate the gospel to a world that is headed to genuine, horrible destruction. And we got to get a little more grit. We got to get a little tougher, folks. Now, I didn't mean mean, that didn't mean argumentative. It means clear, bold, creative, articulate, planned, passionate. You know, you know we, we sang a song that I caught myself standing here going, Lord, do I really mean that? <laughs> that, I'll, that I'll shout it from the mountaintops? that I'd really speak up. And I caught myself asking about not you, but us. Are, are, will we really do that? I gotta tell you, I pray. I pray that we're provoked today. Will you allow God to provoke you?
You know, if, if you're here today and someone brought you and you don't know Christ and someone said, come to my church, I want you to hear about Jesus. If you brought somebody, say to them, hey, I'll help you understand how you can know Christ. But let's allow God to provoke us today. Would you stand where you are?